Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast. You know, here we talk a lot about how the church fits in our changing culture. And though God is certainly consistent and unchanging in his love and in his desires for us, the approaches his church may use to reach a changing culture may need to transform over time. Well, speaking of transformation, our guest today is the pastor of Transformation Church near Charlotte, North Carolina. He is Derwin Gray. He's, he's got an interesting life story. He played in the NFL for the Indianapolis Colts and the Carolina Panthers. Then he founded Transformation Church, which has become one of the fastest-growing churches in the country. He's the author of several books, including The High-Definition Leader, Building Multi-Ethnic Churches in a Multi-Ethnic World. Welcome, Pastor Derwin. Hey, thank you. It's such an honor to be with you guys. Great to have you. Your church's tagline is an interesting one. Uh, the tagline is multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped. Tell yeah. me, what, what do those descriptors say about your church? Well, for us, we have a gospel conviction that the redemptive work of Jesus Christ uh, produces Jew-Gentile communities. Like, the, the early church were multi-ethnic. In other words, Jesus brought together Jews and Gentiles as the new people of God. So not only was it multi-ethnic, but it was also multi-generational, that children mattered, that the elderly mattered, that men mattered, that women mattered. And then mission-shaped means that we as a people, we as the church, are on mission with Jesus. And so our vision or tagline is through the work of Christ. We are a multi-ethnic multi-generational, mission-shaped community, and the rest of it says that loves God completely, ourselves correctly, and our neighbors compassionately. So the Great Commandment and the Great Commission shapes our ecclesiological views of who and what and the why of the Church. Mm. Well, you know, ethnic diversity in your Church, that's still a pretty unusual thing in the American Christian landscape. Why do you suppose that is? Well, um, if I could not be presumptuous, but seeing that we only have a few minutes, I'm just going to throw it out there. Go ahead. Is, uh, is uh, we have allowed a racialized culture instead of Christ and his gospel to define for us what the nature of the church should be. And so what I mean is this, is that most denominations in the United States of America that are quote-unquote black are in existence because of racism in the quote-unquote white church. Hmm. And what happened is, is we didn't go back further enough. We have to go back past the Reformation to understand that the Jewish people were a people living uh, under oppression and occupation of the Romans. And so it's pretty radical for Jesus to say, go make disciples of all nations, because that would mean go make disciples of the people who oppress you, and also with the various degrees of Jewish discrimination. And so you create this community where there is equality because we're all one in Christ. We're equally declared righteous in Christ. We're equally declared God's friends in Christ. We equally have the Holy Spirit. 
And so that's a message of the gospel that a individualistic culture like we have in here in America, we have, quote, unquote, missed that because God has always been about a community. He made a promise to Abraham, Abraham, through you, all the nations would be blessed. And Jesus is the one who comes to ratify that promise. And through his life, death, resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Spirit, this community of difference, yet oneness, is formed. And then this, the church actually becomes a tutor and teacher to the non-believing world that this is what unity and diversity looks like because of the blood of Christ. Hmm. Well, you know, talking about this unity and diversity today, it just seems like it's, it's harder than ever, or at least harder than, than I remember. In our country today, many people have observed that um, we're more sharply divided than, than most of us can remember. It, it seems we're divided along political lines, along religious lines, along racial lines. And I got to say, the, the vitriol, the hateful speech, and even the, the violence seem to be in, intensifying. How in the world do you deal with that in the church, in the Christian community? How do, you, how do you deal with it in your church? Well, I think the first thing is we have to really get back to what was Jesus' message? What, what is the gospel? Is it simply I'm forgiven and I don't go to hell? Or is it the good news that there's a new king who's building a new kingdom with a new people who are influenced by the king? And frankly, I think that cable TV news has done a better job of discipling than the church has. Hmm. And so we as leaders and teachers have to get back to that Jesus is not an elephant. Jesus is not a donkey. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And so my, my, my affections, adoration, my loyalty is not to a political party, but to the kingdom of God, which then makes me a prophet to both Republicans Democrats and libertarians that uh, that know it's the kingdom of Christ, not political agenda. So I think it's a discipleship issue. I also think that in this time in America's history, uh, there is a a browning of our country, and demographics shows that for the first time in history, minority will be the majority. And I think for some people, uh, a loss of privilege and a loss of power uh, is threatening them, whereas it should be there's enough at the table for everyone. And so I think crafty politicians on the right and to the left understand the greatest way to get a follower is make those who oppose you the enemy. Mm. And I think that's where we as the church have got to create disciples that says, love your enemies. Um be kind and compassionate to one another. Our allegiance is to Jesus. And I think we put far too much um, hope in a governmental system instead of the kingdom of God. But then again, we really don't preach the kingdom of God. We preach personal relationship, which is a individualistic Western idea. God wants a personal relationship with us, but he has so much more. Jesus said a, a new covenant, and that's so much greater than a personal relationship. A new covenant means God has obligations towards his people that he'll never recant on, and through his spirit we have obligations to him and his kingdom and his mission. So that's what we want to be about here at Transformation Church, and that's what we want to try to join the rest of the body of Christ in reclaiming the kingdom of God. 
I'm, I'm curious how you actually do that, how you deliver on that in your own church. You have, a, again, as I said earlier, a pretty unusual situation where your church, your congregation is multi-ethnic. So you've got uh, people of different ethnicities sitting next to each other, I presume, uh, mm-hmm. there each week. You've got people who I assume are on uh, different uh, sides of the, the political divide in our country today. Uh, you've got people who probably come from a lot of different uh, religious backgrounds and and um, feelings and, and positions. How do you do that with those people sitting next to each other on Sunday morning? How, how are you able to, to make that work? Well, well first, it, it starts with on my knees in prayer, that I can't make anything work, that it has to be the Holy Spirit working. Secondly is the equipping and training of our elders and pastors and the rest of our staff. But then thirdly, knowing my limitations as a human being, I'm called to uh, throw out the seed, which is the Word of God, and then trust people to respond. So I'm, I'm called to teach and preach the best that I can. I'm called to create an environment for us to grow the best that I can. But no one can change anybody unless they respond to what God is doing in them. And, and, and so we just, week in and week out, um, really, really try to be faithful to the Scriptures. Um, I have a doctorate in New Testament and context, and so I teach our people what was the original context of the first century Second Temple Jewish world that were occupied by Romans. What was happening? It's not that much different now. There was political division. There was a sexuality division. It was religious division. Everything that we have now, racism, bigotry, everything we have now, they had then. And so when we go back to then, we can take what what Jesus said then and apply it now. But it's week in and week out um, doing those things. And what's beautiful is literally a few months ago, we had a person, a gentleman that was an older white man who had on a Make America Great Again hat, mm-hmm. sitting next to an African-American lady with dreadlocks, who had on a shirt that said Black Lives Matter. Hmm. And so um, we keep Jesus foremost, but not this simplistic um, um, version that typically is communicated. Like, we really talk about, like, like, what did it mean for Jesus to grow up near the Sea of Galilee? He was surrounded by Gentiles. Jesus, Jesus saw Roman occupation firsthand. Um, Jesus understands what it's like to, to, to grow up and be marginalized because his dad died and his mom said the Holy Spirit impregnated him. Jesus understands what it means to, to flee Israel as a refugee to Egypt because you're leaving persecution. Um, so there's so much that's already there that's dealing with our contemporary society. What I would say as preachers and teachers, we got to move away from being entertainers to preachers and teachers of the gospel. Now, people tell me I'm very entertaining when I preach. People tell me I'm gifted, but I will never sacrifice the context and the gospel for entertainment. And I think we got to get back to those things because, like you said, we are so divided. And I expect unbelievers to be divided, but when Christians are participating 
in the division and the brokenness and the hurt, we have a discipleship problem on our hands. You know, the the picture that uh, you mentioned a moment ago of the guy in the Make America Great hat and sitting next to the the person with the Black Lives Matter shirt, with, with those issues out there and, and being graphically shown right there in the church, does that mean that uh, you simply preach the gospel and let people figure it out for themselves? On, no. On where they are, are, no, we, are we, we, we talk about it. We we talk about what is what is what is the uproar with unarmed black men being shot well from a black perspective and particularly if you've grown up poor it harkens back to jim crow laws it harkens back to lynchings it harkens back to how police in the south were members of the ku klux klan and so just as as americans have a consciousness of the independence day and world war ii Black America has a consciousness of the injustice, and that which is in the past affects the present the same way America has pride in her, you know, we got independence that gives us pride now. We have to be a true family to say, you know what, there are some great things America has done, and slavery, Jim Crow, and women not being able to vote is not one of them. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of even... Evangelicals don't like to do that, and I think there's this pride that turns into a dollar tree versus mm-hmm. going, you know what, you're right, it's sad that Native Americans land, you know, right where you are, Fort Collins. I mean, that area belonged to Native Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, right here where I'm at, the Catawba uh, Indians ruled this land. Uh, you, you, you can hardly find them now. And where my wife lives in Montana, I've been to Native American reservations, and it blows me away every time that there are people who are American citizens who are on reservations. And so we must be willing to talk about those things because those were the things that were happening in Jesus' day. So what I hear you saying is that uh, rather than simply avoiding these issues to keep peace— uh, and right down to the congregational level, you're saying that uh, no, in fact, you need to talk about these things on the table, in the open, and deal with them from a Christian worldview perspective. Would that be fair? That is absolutely 100% co- correct, that the gospel allows us to do those things. Um, here in Charlotte, we had a black police officer uh, shoot and kill a black man who had a gun. And there, was, there were riots here. And so one of the things that we did is we had a young African-American man who protested in the riots. We had a white police captain, and we also had a gentleman who was a judge, and he happened to be black. And so we interviewed them all on the same table. We've had the chief of police in Charlotte come at our church and speak. And so if we're not dealing with these issues, there's no hope. So I was... I was trained in my theological formation is that from the pulpit, you know, you never talk about controversial issues, but it's the controversial issues that destroy us. Mm. And so what and so what's happened is is people aren't really being discipled, they're being coddled. Mm. Mm. And the result has been among your people. Are uh, I, I assume then that uh, if these issues are out of the open and being talked about, you're able to navigate them without uh, fists flying. And uh, uh. <laughs> no, there's there is there is never fists flying, but there are words. Um, some of our small groups have gotten 
he did, and uh, I have uh, one one time I got called a racist uh, by a black person, said I was a racist against blacks because mm. I wasn't pro-black enough. Mm. I've gotten called racist by a white person because I wasn't pro-white enough. Mm. And so I'm like, man, I think I'm doing the right thing, <laughs> that, 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 you know, that I'm moving in the right place. So, so conflict, if it's done in love, is a good thing. That's that's how we grow is uh, we're here, we, we hear each other's story. But if you read the Gospels, not once do I see Jesus going, you know, pick up your cross and it's going to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm afraid that we're afraid of offending people. I would rather offend someone with truth trying to help them than to coddle them and God discipline me. Mm. You know, another thing, another term that has become divisive is the term evangelical. And uh, mm-hmm. as it's used today, it's, uh, it seems like the reference is less to theology and more to some sort of political position. Um, how has that label, evangelical, affected how a church witnesses to its community? Well, um, I can give you a real-life example. I've been witnessing to a gentleman in his 20s for five years. And the last year has gotten more and more difficult because he goes, how can these evangelicals at one minute say Bill Clinton, unfaithful to his wife, um, this guy's character so poor, if he can't be faithful to his wife, he can't lead America. And then he goes, well, with Donald Trump, he's unfaithful to his wife and he's doing all this stuff. But yet all of a sudden, evangelicals say it doesn't matter. How is that consistent? Help me understand it. I mean, he's really seeking, but um, the political hypocrisy is making it hard for him, and I have to be patient, and a lot of times I have to go, you know what, man, I agree with you. Hmm. I don't understand how the positions could flip and flop. Uh, integrity says, you, you, you know, I can't budge on my print, print, print principles. Mm. Um, So it has made it more hard. And what's sad is the word evangelical comes from the Greek word evangelon, people of the good news. The good news, there's a new king, a new king who brought in a new kingdom with a new people, and he's done it by grace, and he invites us to share in that and to bring heaven to earth. Mm. That message has been truncated by political compromise. Mm. Mm. Now, now let me say this. Do I believe politics matters? Absolutely. I'm thankful for Abraham Lincoln. I'm thankful for the Civil Rights Act. I'm thankful for when President Reagan says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear that wall down. But I also recognize that there's a higher kingdom, and we have to point the disciples of Jesus to that kingdom. Mm. Mm. Well, you are uh, one of the speakers at Group's upcoming Future of the Church conference in uh, Colorado, and uh, we are looking forward to, to that. And as we wind up here, uh, when you think simply about that, uh, that broad topic of the future of the church, when you think about the future for America's church, what's your outlook? <sighs> well, um... I think we're going to do a lot more learning 
I think the American church is going to do a lot more learning from the church in South America, um, the church in Africa, and the church in Asia. Mm. Um, I feel as though the power central center, not the money, but the actual gospel power has moved to the global south, whether it's the great things that are happening in South America or Pentecostalism in Africa or the revival in China, mm. um, I think that we're going to be learning from them that mm. for communist China to have over 300 million Christians um, should teach us a thing or two. And, you know, Europe is fairly dark with the gospel, and if America's not careful, we're going to be following in that pattern. And what's interesting, too, is the browner Christianity gets around the world, the stronger it's getting. Mm. Mm. Lots to think about and fascinating to talk about, and we're looking forward to uh, talking with you more at the uh, Future of the Church Conference coming up uh, in October. And Holy Soup listeners are invited to join us, and uh, you can check out the conference at uh, the website, thefutureofthechurch.com, thefutureofthechurch.com. Pastor Derwin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. And we'll see you all next time on the Holy Soup Podcast. <laughs>